Well, welcome to another edition of the OFM podcast. I'm Peter Defty, and I'm sort of like the chief guide in this journey to higher health and peak performance. And today I've got on one of our ambassadors and a guy who's kind of old like me chronologically as far as the numbers go, but he's actually in a lot better shape than me. I consider myself a slouch, but I'm I'm not not where I would like to be right now. But I think we can talk about that because uh, that that'll be part of the conversation. Is you know because we're both uh, entering into our 60s, right? Yep. Well into our 60s, and and so Tony Convalin, did I get that right? Close, Convalin. Convalin. There you okay. go. Like convalescing. Yes, I've heard that before. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, we can joke about, we can make some fun about with that, right? Yep. Tony Convalin, who I've grown to really have a lot of great conversations with, and he's become like one of our chief people and is going to help us with some of the coaching. And he's got a real great journey uh, to this because he's been a lifelong athlete. Is that correct, Tony? Uh, yeah, grew up playing the real football, the one they do on the pond, other side of the pond. <laughs> And then moved to running in high school. Okay, was that in the, is that soccer like like yes. guitar? Yes. I grew up playing soccer and baseball, and then got to high school, and they didn't have they canceled it as the year I started, and so I I refused to take PE. So all that was left was cross country. Oh, okay. So that's where you found running. So Tony, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on there is you kind of represent the everyman, right? And yet you're still doing it and you're still racing and living at a high level. Tell us a little bit about yourself, the, the, the whole picture, because people sometimes they can't relate to Jeff Browning because Jeff Browning's Jeff Browning or Nick Curry yeah. or, or some of these people who are winning these big races and setting records. I wanted to bring you on because I, I think you can really help people relate to this so that they can get started on their journey. Yeah, I, basically, as I said, I started running in high school in 1973. Um, was terrible at it. I always tell people I'm like the late bloomer. My senior year, I was like the number two man on our team. But till then, I was getting by everybody. I had good speed. You know, I ran because cross. If you play soccer, you run a lot. But uh, my senior year, then I went, decided, and went to college at the University of Arizona. Big mistake. I should have picked a smaller school, but it was local. And never really realized I was any good because I'd run a 15-minute 10K, a uh, 5K, but all the guys in the team ran like 1330s and 14s. I mean, we had a really good team. Then the ways to grow up? Uh, my dad was in the Air Force, so all, all over the place. But when I started running, it was in Tucson. Oh, so your dad was, your dad was based at Davis Maltham at the time. Yes, that's when he, re he retired there. So that's where I went to high school when he retired and ran there so i went to university of arizona what, what 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 year was that when you were running in high school what years were those 73 through 77. okay okay yeah 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 shoot yeah so, i was I, I occasionally was down there during that time yeah so i went to college, university of arizona with and tom hunt which some people know if you're back in that day the days of the hamul toads i i rented my room from my uh place we stayed at from Ed Mendoza, uh, Olympian who ran for the University of Arizona and ran the, the Olympics and the marathon. 
and uh, new Don Janicki and all those guys. Really fast guys. I mean, you could go to a local 10K and you could run 31 minutes, 30 minutes and be just, just barely right. make top, top 10. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, no, I was running in Arizona a couple of years ago on that, you know, river loop. Those uh -huh. river and I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of really fast looking African dudes out here. Yeah, I was in, I, I ran in college the year the Africans were really big. We had a couple, I've run with Henry Rono. I mean, I'm not in the same race. I didn't run with him. He was ahead, but he was going right. to Washington State when I went to University of Arizona. I always tell people I was, I can have the distinction of being lapped in a 5K by uh, the world record holder in the 10K. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I still ran like probably 1530 and got lapped, but that's life. So I ran and then. So, so, so folks, I mean, if you can't, if you can't relate to Tony's, Tony, you can't relate, right? <laughs> so I, and I laughed today because I told everyone, and I remember telling people over the years that, well, you know what? I can't be you now. I'm just going to outlast you. And so that seems to be where I'm at. So. Oh, so that, that sort of is part of the journey towards endurance sports. Yeah. Just, I'm going to outlast them in distance and outlast them and keep running. Right. So a lot of guys are not running anymore. Just. Oh, for various reasons. Uh, some are. And so after college, well, I dropped out of college in 1980. It just wasn't working for me. And I went up to Seattle and uh, I, the goal was to run, but I started riding bikes and I raced on the velodrome up, velodrome up there. Oh, so you, so you fell in love with bike racing. Yeah. And so I've ridden, you know, all kids ride, right? And I rode in high school a little bit, but nothing competitive. But I started ride, doing both running and riding and got into riding more and rode on the velodrome, came back to Tucson, ran a little, but started riding a whole lot. Got up to a Cat 2 riding bikes. I think in 85, I was second in the state time trial and the fourth in the road race. I got teamed up on, so you can't win. Bike racing is an interesting sport because if you're all equal and someone's got a team, you're not going to win. And yeah, especially if they have a good team. Yeah, it was a good team. And we were in a break. I mean, I think our stat year, we did like 110 miles in under like in like 350 or something. And it's fine. I got in a sprint. I'm not a sprinter. I'm like the stereotypical endurance guy. If right. I got a sprint, it's for a mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you had great training ground in Tucson. Because oh, yeah. Mount Lemon Road and... All yeah, that does hurt and getting hot, hot adapted. I mean, I was, I was talking to John this morning and we were kind of going over the 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 World Cup thing. It's like Morocco's still in the game. And I'm, I mentioned, oh, yeah, probably because they're heat adapted. Yeah. You can only you can only cool a stadium so much. Right. Yeah. So actually, if you, anyone that rides in Tucson that does the shootout, we were in the original shootout. It didn't have a name back then. <laughs> oh, wow. It's it was one of the hardest rides you'll ever do. It was a training ride, and they were like great. I mean, some were fast and long, some were just short sprints, but different rides. But we yeah, we did that every day, every once a week, and then uh, got to a cat two, and then just kept racing, and then got to my thirties and got married and couldn't train as much and sort of didn't ride as much because I was basically uh, fodder. You know, you enter a race, pay your entry fee, and then have all the pros blow you out because back in those days if you're a cat two you raced in one two pros so if you're a cat two you're at the bottom now somewhere in there you did get a, a degree in theology correct 
So not then. So that's a different side. So I went to University of Arizona. When I was 40, I decided I wanted to go to seminary. So I went to seminary and the sort of joke in our family is that I got my degree, but then I had to go back and get my bachelor's. So I got my bachelor's. So I have two diplomas, my bachelor's I don't remember what year, but it's like in December and my master's is in March because <clears throat> I had to do a couple classes to clean it up. So, yeah, I have at work. I work as an engineer, but I tell people they ask me what my degree is and I go, yeah, I got a degree in theology. So it's <laughs> OK. So and then so I basically kept riding. I rode quite a bit and then and then I ran. I always run a little bit, even if I didn't run a lot that writing sort of takes a lot of time and got back into running somewhat and then sort of had a spell where I didn't do much of anything. I was riding, but started gaining weight. And uh, my family, we decided to get out of California and we moved to Kentucky. Now, where were you in California? So you, you, you moved to California. Okay. So yeah, moved to Southern California. What took you to California from Arizona? Just work? Yeah. I basically went to Seattle to work and then I got a job with Univega Bicycles, if anyone knows bikes, and that got me into California. And then another guy hired me to run his bike shops. And then I had a guy that said he knew me at our church and he wanted who was good with their hands, but didn't know a thing about composite fiber, carbon fiber. So he could teach you from the ground up. Yep. I worked in the back room in the tooling department, you know, learned how to mill stuff and work with some old timers. <clears throat> and so I was the perfect guy because I didn't know a thing about composites. And so that's how I got into composites like 30 years ago. So what was the problem there? Was it just people's egos? Is that no, why it's in, somebody who didn't most, know? Most schools teach you the, the theory, but they actually teach you how to do things with your hands, right? So you can draw it, you can think about it carbon fiber has to go down on the tool in a certain way and it doesn't bend around corners like you can do in a drawing. And so uh, what, what can design cannot always be made just by physical things. And so the guy I worked for wanted that could work on the floor and teach people how to do stuff that knew how it was actually done, not just theories behind it. Right. So I learned that stuff. I mean, if, but, and so I'm a manufacturing engineer more like I, I take drawings from customers and figure out how to, meet their requirements and the process for making them. So you've got a full-time uh, yeah. high-impact profession as a manufacturing engineer. Yeah, I, I. so right now I work two months, two to three months of the year in Kentucky remotely. So I do a little more paperwork things or customer interactions, not so much hands-on. And then like right now I'm in California, I go for a month at a time and I'm pretty much more hands-on or taking care of stuff that I can do when I'm there based on just the experience I have. Okay, and, uh, I, I'm kind of a, a gearhead, so um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm a little bit curious, and I think it's it's things that the audience should be aware of because this is all cool stuff. It's probably, are you doing a lot of defense work? Uh, not a lot. I work on any of the ones that are defense. Our company does. We build some stuff for a few jets and some engines for GE. Mostly we build, uh, I guess I did best is non-movable composite fiber parts for engines like cowlings and and stators and um, oh. if you know what engines are those are the compressor pieces. Right. Um, you guys you guys actually make the stators for the GE yes. engines. We make we make one of them or we did. I'm not sure if we're making them right now. It goes back and forth because they're always bidding on dollars. But we built some for one of the GE engines. We do a lot of APU ducts and some ducting. Okay. Um, 
but we also do that for Airbus and we're just a general kind. We build for like the product. You mean for like, Scarebus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we build for all the, the engine. We actually build for Airbus themselves. We build for the engine manufacturer that they may go through for whatever engine. So we'll build some engine stuff for Boeing or the GE engines or the Pratt Whitney engines and stuff like that. Or so we're like a, a, we work for the primes and we, we design anything. I, we have one part for the C-17 we designed, but that's sort of, we just build spares. Is that, for, is that for the flaps or for the engine cowl? No, we build an APU duct. It's actually a piece okay. you can, you can see that's open whenever they're on the ground. Cause it, that's the only time they ever use it. Right. They open the door. Right. And, they open the doors, turn the APU on. Yeah. So that's, that's our part. We we helped design. Actually, it was it was designed when I started. I've been with this company for 25 years, and uh, I think that was my first program. It had been designed, so I, I worked on that on the floor. So, so then I moved to Kentucky. A duct is that like an inlet duct or an exhaust duct? Inlet. So that's so it sucks air into the air in for the the APU, which is a yep. which for folks, if you know that it's a small it's a small turbine, just like the engine on an airplane that that powers a generator and hydraulic systems so that they can kind of operate the airplane during the, 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 you know, ground operations. Yeah. So if anyone wants to know if it's ever super hot in your aircraft sitting at the, at the gate and they have any airflow, it's because their APU is not working. Yeah. And I, I was on a plane just the other day and that was, I'm going, okay, the telling the APU is not working and right over the loudspeaker well it's a little warm in here till we get going because our apu is not working <laughs> oh god yeah so, so i mean this is real world stuff tony works on it's kind of funny because i used to be a test pilot for an aircraft company that built spray planes and they were there they were a subsidiary owned by a company called american polytherm which was one of the original uh people in that that sphere you know and and it was funny because Hal was a brilliant engineer who had in the 60s was working for Aerojet and came across, he kind of merged the whole thing of chemistry with rocket nozzles. So he came up with the composite rocket nozzles mm -hmm. and built his company on that. But, you know, during the, but I think what happened was he was just so wildly successful in the defense stuff that he got, he got a big ego. And he had a bunch of yes people around with him. And when that defense turned down, came down with the fall of the Soviet bloc, you know, in, in a lot of defense companies, if they didn't know how to use lean manufacturing, they were out of business, right? But, yep. but the point I wanted to make was I actually saw, I actually knew about the original Kestrel bikes because that's where they were made. Right. The original Kestrel bikes were made by, uh prototypes were built by american polytherm and it's like hal had all the things to have made it big uh but if you have a good business operation around you you know you kind of uh can fold and it was it just was just kind of a sad thing because they had a lot of good things going including the aircraft i was doing test flying for right and it just kind of went by the the Kestrel. The Kestrel was the original carbon fiber bike, and now, you know, carbon fiber is just like one of the main materials, if not the main material of cycling now, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the main. I mean, I, I'm a titanium. I have one, but I would my next bike's going to be titanium because I like forever materials. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. 
and that's why I call that's why I use the term scare bus because scare bus uses a lot of composites and I'm I'm kind of yep. an old school rivets and, and aluminum guy yep. I, I've, I've got this particular thing right now that I'm kind of on this thing because they, they just rolled out the last 747 right 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 and I, I kind of think that Boeing Boeing kind of wanted to kill that thing because if you make airplanes too well, People need to buy new airplanes. Yeah, it's called planned obsolescence, right? <laughs> That's right. And and Airbus, they've had a good model with their 300 series in terms of the airplanes buy them, they fly the you-know-what out of them, and then they send them to the boneyard. Yep. So it's kind of an interesting time. But but I, th I think that's a great way to frame this thing because when it comes to our bodies, we want that planned obsolescence. Maybe healthcare right. wants us too. <laughs> yes. I want to mm -hmm. be, be that that 707 KC-135 or B-52 or 747 or DC-8 that, you know, as long as, as long as you maintain it right and fly it right, it can keep going well into the future. So there, there's a good, we can frame that, that gearhead. Yeah. So here's a good example. So in California, I leave my bike here and for one of my bikes and my bike I ride here is a 1989 Medici that uh -huh. has almost all original different tires and chain but almost all original 1989 or older components campanello no i got a mix because i was sponsored a little bit because i worked for vega i have some shimano i okay. have uh, but i do have like the original campy click shift chorus rear derailleur with uh -huh. the, the click shifters on the on the brake levers and but i ride that with scott drop-in bars which anyone that knows bike riding back then they were these bars that have this weird curly piece underneath for arrow that uh, Greg Lamont rode. But I ride that bike here. I mean, up to 100. Is, is, that, done, is, that, a, is that an aluminum or a chromoly bike? Uh, it's it's prestige tubing. So it's a, the Japanese sort of uh, Reynolds tubing of that day. So it's aluminum? Um, no, it's steel. Oh, so it's, it's a chromoly steel. Chromoly. Yeah. Yes, so, yeah. So I ride that. I rode a 200 miler right back in March that they have up near Solvang on that bike and i actually still have the if you know gearing it's only a it's a seven speed 1224 so it's a really small block and i have a 39 23 53 at the front and everyone's laughing because everyone's got their new bikes with this, this ultra high gearing so they can get up hills and i'm just like standing up going up these big hills because that's how we used to race i mean no one had <laughs> you, you might have a 26 if you're in the tour de france back then but no one rode anything bigger than a 23 or a 24. The gearing was really close because you had only seven speeds. You couldn't have a huge gap. Okay. But that bike still goes. I've had it repainted once. And other than that, nothing else has changed. Okay. Well, and, and like I said, let's what we're what we're here to talk about is exactly that. I mean, right. this this idea of planned obsolescence. Let's let's throw that out of the window, folks. Yep. Let's discuss, you know, how things have went with you in terms of lifestyle, diet. You're trying to stay active, raise a family, work. Yes. Uh, so when I got to Kentucky, I sort of didn't really know much around there. I wasn't riding much just because work was I'm working a lot. And what and was what was the motivation to move to Kentucky? Just California, California was the motivation. Right? California was my motivation to move to Kentucky. <laughs> And so we were actually going to move. The, 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 I actually tell people we were going to move to Tennessee because we had friends there. Then we were going to move to Virginia because we had friends there. And I just say it's God that I moved to Kentucky because I looked up and found a house 
at a ridiculous price. I got a 29 acre farm and couldn't pass it up and moved to Kentucky. My job worked out that I could work remotely, but I wasn't working out as much. I'd ride once in a while and I'd run two or three miles. Well, and I got up to farm in a family, you've got more than enough on your plate. Yeah. But I got up to, and it's hard for me to even think of this now. I got to like 230 or 240. What? Yeah. But I'm a big guy. So I'm 6'3". And if you wear baggier clothes, no, it doesn't look like you're overweight. I'm 6'2". Um, and when I get over 190, man, I feel like a toad. Well, yeah. So I didn't feel that great. And then <laughs> a family that I met, they were doing a little running, right? So they were running two or three mile runs. And so I joined in and, yeah, I like doing this. <laughs> and then I remembered, I think between just some things I read, and I remembered back in, I mean, long time ago, the Ram, some of the ultra distance riders were doing fat adaption. Right. But back then, the same thing you hear today, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You can do fat adaption, but it's going to kill you when you get older with all that fat, right? Because I was on the same mantra that fat's. So you were, you were, you were in that, you were imbued with all the, I guess for Latin, for my kids, I'm going to let my conspiracy theorists come out, that narrative of high carb. Yes, I had blown that off, but now I can look back and I remember you ran in Tucson. There's a trail there that I have one of the top times on and we used to run it and it's, you know, most of the runs are at two hours or just under if you run fast. I never took food. Is that Sabino Canyon? Yeah. So there's the Bear, the Bear Mountain, the... Bear Canyon Trail. Okay. I have like the fourth fastest time on there, which will stay for a while because the trail's been eaten up. But the point is, we never took water. We never took food because you didn't have things back then, right? There wasn't, right. I mean, even you didn't have pockets in your shorts, even. I mean, it was like, what? You went for a two hour run, you went with what you had. Right, right. My friend Bruce LaBelle, who in his 20s and early 30s, he was one of the top five finishers at Western States. He said for his training runs, he had a little lab squirt bottle yep. and hard candy. Yep, that was all we would take. And that that was forced fat adaptation because you were you you were going to go out there and you had to, you had to train on that, right? Yep. So I was getting heavy and I started listening to stuff. I think I'd listened to some stuff you had. I had read some other stuff from some other how long ago was this let's let's get a timeline going uh probably thinking back maybe six years oh really so you're you're really a, a fairly recent convert to this yeah full-time i mean i've heard of it before but actually making a change to eat less carbs eat a little higher fat be, watch my diet i mean i always watch tried to watch my diet but i between running more and that i think over the last six years i'm down to 175 178 I know you're where I you're where I want to be. I'm I'm a little about about 15 pounds above that. So in other words, you had probably like a lot of people in the audience who consider themselves athletes. You were kind of in the same thing as work, moving, 29 29 acre farm, kids, all the stuff that life throws at you. You and then of course thinking you were being healthy by following the 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 guidelines that were government policy. Right. Uh, you turned into, despite your interest in riding and running, you'd kind of gotten fallen into that trap most people do, right? Right. It's one of those things I tell people is you wake up one day and you're 230, right? Because I never pay attention. Like I said, I'm tall. So it's not like yeah. I suddenly have a gut hanging over my, but I did. I had a gut. 
I mean, but you notice it because your shirts are loose and yeah. whatever. But it's like you wake up one morning and you're going, yeah, I feel that great. And then you're standing on the scale and you're like 230. And I'm like, 230? I weighed like one. Well, in college, I weighed about 135, which is probably not healthy. No, I was in that range, 135 to 155 in college. I mean, I couldn't put on weight to save my life. And I think a lot of us who grew up then and, and ate decently, my mom always had fresh food, like sodas and other foods that are real common today was like a treat for us. Right. Right. You probably grew up the same. Right? So, so, so I was like 135, but when I took up bike riding, which one reason I really am a proponent of people, if they're going to cross train, bike riding is good because if you actually ride correctly, and climb hills correctly and all this, you do get a little more full body. Cause I mean, my, I'm not big upper body by any means, but mm -hmm. I definitely are stronger than I am when I just ran. And so you get a little more of that. My legs are bigger. That's the joke around my family is, is that I have like, my dad's was from Czechoslovakia. So I have like Eastern European lower part, my legs are big <laughs> and my upper is like Western European cause I was born in England. So you got the sort of just skinny. But that's actually a really good physique for running and right and riding, right? right. Well, much. and it's good. It's good physique for hunter gatherers. I mean, look at T Rex. Yep. <laughs> so I, that's me. That's the skinny of I. The guys I rode with when I did this two hundred miler were laughing because for someone my weight and height, I have fairly big legs. But that's just how I've always been. And playing soccer does that too because that's sort yeah. of like sprinting around. And then I've ridden and I I run and I've always been pretty good on hills. So that's sort of my thing. But this, but this all really kind of, you, you took a pretty big hiatus from regular training and yeah. shape because I, yeah. you wind up at 2.30 if you're training. No, I, I was, I would say, I tell people I've been running for 49 years, but you know, there were periods in there I might get a run in every week or so or piddle around on my bike. It wasn't training. Yeah. Um, nothing like I do now. Cause I mean, I probably put in, I ride a lot of my trainer in the basement. So. Um, I'm a big proponent of riding on Zwift and stuff like that because it's the best use you can have of time that there is if you want to ride and safe. I have any no cars have run me over on Zwift yet. Boy, I'll tell you, I that's one thing. I had a conversation with another client and he had, you know, one of those situations where there before the grace of God go I that a truck went by him. He literally, you know, could feel it scuffing him. Yeah, well, I've been hit three times, so over oh, wow. the years. Nothing serious. Yeah. I mean, one serious one, sort of. I mean, I busted up my knee a little, but, and I've had it. Yeah, I guess the other one, I've got like 35 stitches in my jaw. No, today, today I'm not even worried about the truck so much. If I was a cyclist, I'd get just people on their cell phones yep. and the people drive today. They're just, I mean, I think this goes back to a theory I've been playing with about how we've so ensconced ourselves in the man made construct, you know, and it goes for cars. I mean, cars today you're cocooned in the darn thing you have no idea you're going 70 miles an hour and you have to be paying attention to what you're doing you're yep. trying to grab a text or get the sound to work right or make sure the cup holders or whatever i mean i just it, yeah. it's like growing up riding motorcycles and running heavy equipment and driving big rigs you had to pay attention yep yeah, uh, I, tell, I tell people they realize they're driving a gun it, it, it's That's as dangerous right. as any weapon. Yeah. I mean, they realize how dangerous what they, you know, they, I've had people, you know, they think they're being cute because some rider did something probably stupid. And so he wants to take it out of me because I'm riding and they ride really close to you, not realizing that all they have to do is hardly touch me and I'm down and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then, it's it's like what what gets me, and I've talked to a lot of writers, is is just people not paying attention. Yep. And, it, and so so I guess yeah, Swift. Swift. If you're if you're a, a writer, it's like you say, nobody's gotten run over on Swift yet. I fall and crash as of yet, and I can put lots of miles in. I mean, I enjoy it. So I'm a little weird. I've done like I was telling a guy today. I think I've done in the last three years. 3,500 plus milers on Zwift in my basement. Oh boy, I think you and Corey are like, should get in a competition. Corey Gower, our uh -huh. ambassador. I think yeah. he's, he's a big Swifty. Because oh, I, I ride for a team on this. I race on there when my schedule works and stuff. So I enjoy it. I mean, and it's the best use of time. I can get up in the morning. I put my clothes on, go down. I have a- Knock it out. I have a smart bike. So I it's all set up. I get on my bike ride for an hour two or three whatever it is get nice. off take a shower go to work nice. i don't have to worry about cars i don't have to worry about getting my bike outside and making sure it's oiled or whatever and it works great so cool 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 so so you woke up one day at 2 30 and said and made this decision so um were you still at a doing a, a fairly high carb low fat diet at that point yeah, I mean, I would say just your normal diet. I wasn't trying to eat more carbs, but it was the normal thing, right? It's right. Like, and but it was too much. It was too many calories and too many carb calories. Yes, was 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 creating that hormonal shift. And that, so I actually, I owe a lot of where it started was um, Phil Maffetone. Between training easier, you know, the heart rate thing, I got into watching that. Then he had his two week test where you cut things out, and he, yep. And that was good because it showed me that as much as I like pasta, and I'm not like an, a total anti-carb guy, but I have I eat pasta hardly ever because it doesn't like me, and yes. I like it. You, you figure that out until you get off it and then go back on right. it because you're so used. Your body's just like an alcoholic who has to right. have a lot of drinks to to get drunk. You and that's what the two-week test did, is you, you go off everything for two weeks and then you bring things back. And so, like, for me, I can eat potatoes and they do much to me. Some people have problems, you know, with their glycemic index, but I can eat a baked potato. Now, to be honest, my baked potato is a is only a transport device for butter and sour cream. Yep, yep, yep. I had one last night like that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I joke that I'm a, I mean, I could eat a brick of Kerrygold because I just love butter. So I always refer to the foods that I put a lot of butter on as transport devices for butter because it, you know, otherwise I just eat the butter. But so I just, you know, between I, I owe a lot of it really to Maffetone in starting that journey. Uh, you know, it led me to look at other things. No, no Phil, Phil is really a true um, renaissance man. And, and I actually probably I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit to pulling him back into the sphere because it was a lot of it was due to the fact that athletes I was working with were starting to win and people were hearing about this and and everybody people who were in the sphere remembered Phil because in the late 90s he'd actually kind of moved and he still is but he kind of really put his focus toward music I don't right know if you're yep. yeah he's, he's got really, a website for music and everything yeah 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 no and I've talked to him about this and his it's he's really a renaissance man and and, and so you know once we started to see these 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 big things in, in, you know, 2012, 14, you know, he kind of got pulled back into the sphere because people remembered him from, from his days in the eighties and nineties when he was, you know, coaching 
Mark Allen and Stu Middleman and right and all these other guys and, and and you know like I said the guy's a true Renaissance man because he's he's brilliant yeah so he brought me into that and then it got me looking at other places so I looked at stuff that you had had and then other guys that were doing fat adaption and I'm like you know I feel better when I do this and I just started you know what to be to be brutally honest that most of when i started it's just very convenient because i get up in the morning if i'm going to ride or run i have time to eat anything in the morning so i pretty much do every every workout in the mornings fasted yeah um, if i do a super long run i have my little i call it my modified bulletproof coffee you know it's sort of a bulletproof coffee with it's got the butter but i put collagen and an egg and some coconut oil just make it like a meal yeah that's a that's a meal yeah, that's, but it's but it's good for me. Yeah, it satiates some hunger early because I you know I don't know if you've ever gone on a hundred mile bike ride or something super long and you start hungry, even though you may not really be hungry, just feeling that way doesn't. So this I get going in the morning, but in the morning, I'm, most of my workouts in the morning are just a cup of coffee with a little bit of cream for taste, and then I ride, and wow. then my ride usually is just with electrolytes or just water. And that's just convenient. I mean, truthfully, I'm not even thinking about whether I'm riding fasted. It just works and it's easy. And so I started doing all that. And then, you know, we started talking and got more intentional on things. And then I guess I'm sometimes a little, uh, let's put it this I have people that come up to me at races anymore and go, so how many carbs did you eat on this race? Because <laughs> I probably should eat more because when I'm racing, I probably need to take in more. But I just get so much into riding or whatever. I think about eating something and I probably could do better if I took more in, which is what I'm working on. And I tell you, when I say taking more in, I'm not talking like, you know, what some of the guys out there that are carb centric do where they're trying to now, or you know about it. Degrees an hour. Yeah, we're getting, you know, it used to be, well, guys, you could get 75, eight grams, maybe nine. They're talking 150 and I mean, 120s and 150s and, you know, this is the new thing. How can you shove more in? Of, and I'm like, oh, man, people are throwing up at 75 grams. Well, well, interestingly enough, I had a conversation with Jeff Joseph, you know, our uh -huh. Austin ambassador. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And we're going to be doing uh, a podcast with him and John Rutherford. John was is one of my early adopters, and he was like the highest guy to record fat oxidation in faster. And and we're going to do a, a podcast on, on CGMs. And oh right, Joseph's doing some research because both of them have extensively used C CGMs, and the reason why we're going to do that is because you know that's a big deal right now, right? It's the latest right. shiny object toy, but the reality that we're approaching it from is is you know before you start chasing your numbers with a CGM, your glucose numbers, you need to get fat adapters so you create that blood sugar stability we talk about, right? right. Yep. And, and Jeff was saying that. The unfortunate thing he's seeing, he's going to do some research to verify this, but apparently the Super Sapiens program app is is really all about trying to see exactly what you're saying. How much, how many carbs can we shove down ourselves? Right. Yeah, and without, without I, going over spilling over into Pukeville. Yeah, and I, I his name goes out of my head, but the guy that won the Leadville race and then he won Steamboat Springs Gravel this year. He's a younger guy. He's like 26, probably can get by with it because he's younger. Well, I mean, yeah. the guy eats, he eats like 120 to 100 and whatever grams of carbs an hour. And 
I go, well, that's fine for him, but I'm a, the, but what I'm concerned about is the average rider hearing that thinks, oh, I need to do that. Right. And, and the problem is, is, is that guy can do it and get away with it, quote unquote. Short term. But it's not going to end well. If yeah. He it's, with it. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's where I, so where I am today is, you know, I pretty much, I, I, I tell people, they say, well, how many calories do you eat or whatever? I said, well, I'll, you know, I'm the guy that I had a I had a croissant today after my 14 mile trail run because it sounded good with my coffee. So I worry about that much stuff. Okay, Jeff, Jeff, if you're out there watching this, you had your almond cake today in San Bartolome, and Tony had his croissant. So yeah, we're not we're not like no carb. Nope. Yep. You know, and, and I and I the joke is I have like a weakness for really good cinnamon rolls, but like I'm not a down every you know I. Eat, Five of them or anything and the truth is i always tell people i'm lower carb higher fat and then i have to say as compared to the rest of the world yeah it's not it's not keto because you know the macros never the fat macro never goes up to 70 or 80 percent right, right. you really got to work at that when you're on ofm and you know you you fluctuate between balancing out your carbs and your your fat yeah i probably have days where i probably took in 400 grams of carbs now the truth is that's still low compared to the average american and the average diet and the average athlete i mean well yeah and, and that's the days you do you're doing that you're doing maybe an all day ride yeah. and maybe 80 or 90% of the ca ex external calories you took in are carb calories right right but compared to what you what you produced in energy is probably down there around 20 percent right and then but, there are days when i do any of that i mean i've done 100 milers with nothing but water and salt basically i mean some sort of electrolyte don't forget we gotta do the shameless pitch for vespa yeah sorry and vespa <laughs> and, and so i use so the good part with vespa and i know if it's because i'm fat adapted is i never notice anything with vespa that i could say yep i feel this but i can tell you at the end of the day i didn't have an energy problem right and i can see who might not be fat adapted could feel something different like i didn't need that carb all i can say is i take the vespa i take it down and i have like a craving for for carbs i may take them in if i know i got a big hard session coming or i'm chasing on the trail because yep. i just want more energy but it's not because i feel like i need to take it yeah. So no, it's like I say, what you notice is what you notice. You right. just have a good day. Right. So I can't tell. Yeah, I took it. You know, because that's what people want to feel, right? Because they think about carbs or whatever. I took this and I got this burst of energy. Yeah. But then, then, but then you got 20, 20, 30 minutes later, you got this. Right. <laughs> so that's why I tell them if I'm in an ultra race or even in a bike race, if you can get it, if I'm in the last 32 minutes to an hour and wants to hand me a Coke to drink, oh, I'll yeah. drink. No problem. It's jet oh, fuel. Cause I do feel it. Yeah. But that's okay. When I get the crash, I'm done. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, and the truth is that's how we used to race back in the old days because you would take sugar stuff like candy. Yep. And the idea was you just kept taking the, the stuff cause you knew as long as you took it, you might not crash. Yep. And so you just kept taking it, right? We'd suck on hard candies or something, but so like I tell people, I track in, I track any of that. I just sort of get a feel for it. And the truth is, and what's good about OFM, at least for IC, is that once you get into it, and I'm an engineer, so I would rather give me a spreadsheet that tells me what I need to eat and how much to eat, because it just makes life easier for me. But at the end of the day, my body will tell me when I shouldn't have eaten something. 
Exactly. 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 Um, at the end of the day, I, it might be hindsight, but I have to learn from that, right? That's my problem. If I well, and that's part of part of what I go going back to this man-made construct. You know, we, we we've lost that trust of our own intuit intuitive uh, knowledge. That own, you know, our body can tell us. Yes, we've lost that. We've lost that because we've we've taken ourselves so far far afield of of the natural world, right? Right. Once you get, I mean, like I say, all I'm doing is trying to get us back to that physiological state that, that we were meant to have, right? Yep. And that's what I try and push is that at the end of the day, this is all about getting your metabolic health such that you have to rely on big pharma. You have to rely on the medical system. You yeah. know, the old saying, food is your medicine is true. Yeah, but it's also it's more than that. I mean, there's 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 the training you got to exercise, oh, yeah. do a certain. You have to get enough sunlight, or at least supplement, oh, yeah. get some sunlight, and get supplement with vitamin D. You really have to learn to manage stress in the modern world because there's so many what I call insidious stressors that we even realize, like all these notifications and texts and things that come at us. They're they're, they're pinging some very primitive heart flight, fight or flight hard wiring that's not meant to be pinged the way it is now. Yeah, so I, I would say that one of the things that's, this is a pitch for moving to the country, but I have less stress living in the country, let alone that I work in my house. But, you know, a traffic jam where I live is the Amish buggy that just is in the road going somewhere that I've got to wait till I get to a turn I can get by or the tractor in the road. I mean, so you, so you have Amish in Kentucky? Yeah, we got. I have like probably four families on my road. Oh, really? So yeah, that's... we got. They're all from New York. It's a. They're whatever they call it. I can't remember what the term is they have from their group, but all of them are from New York. Most of them are from New York. Okay. Yeah, we, have, we used to have a lot more, but by me, there's a fair number. I mean, you have to watch out at night when you see the slow-moving red lights ahead of you, <laughs> and realize that's a buggy. <clears throat> Oh, interesting. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. You have to watch where you run in the morning on Sundays sometimes. All right. All right. So, so, and, you know, so you've gone from being relatively sedentary, 230 pounds, to where you are now. And tell us about some of the things you've done this this year. I think there was a gravel worlds. and you, Yeah, you so I, um, I, I basically run 5Ks in locally and stuff whenever I'm around. And I, I think I did. I don't know if I broke 20 this year, but I'm right around the 20 minute range. I know I could probably do better, but that's okay. I never go into them like that's not my goal race. The big goal race this year was Gravel Worlds, which is what the picture is behind me. <clears throat> that's 153 miles in Lincoln, Nebraska. And if anyone thinks Lincoln, Nebraska is flat, they need to look at my GPS because I think it was 11,600 feet of climbing or 11,300 feet of climbing. It's uh, jokingly called death by a thousand cuts because it's up and down on gravel roads. Not anything hard. Personally, for me, it's my jam. It's like, I'm not a technical guy. I want to fall. And so this is like really gravelly. So it's not fast. So I did that. In June, I ran a 50K on the trail, on the river trail out here, which I hadn't done in, hadn't run that far in quite a few years. Just decided I was in town and there was a 50K and my brain wasn't smart enough to know that my farthest run was a half marathon. So why not run 31 miles? I ran, I think, 438 and got second. Wow. 
So the first half I ran at about 745, 750 pace, and then my legs rebelled and said, you know, you haven't run this far before and in a while, and plus it's dead flat. You hate that feeling when the when the legs start telling you, you yeah. you're not supposed to be doing this. You you've exceeded the the the, the length limit. And if anyone run, I mean anyone that runs knows that personally the hardest run you can do is a dead flat run because oh, it's God. the same muscle for yep. you know for four and a half hours. There's no changing the, and that's what this trail this race is on a river trail. Well, right now as we speak, desert solstice. Yeah, I saw Jeff's out there. Yeah, Jeff's yeah. out there. I mean. You know he's a mountain trail specialist, right? But this is yep. this is like mental training for him. It's going to be yeah. interesting. It'll be uh, muscle wise. It'll be interesting because I've done a ten hour on a horse track that was a half mile loop once, and I did like fifty five miles. Okay, and that was quite a while ago, and that was pretty hard on my legs. I mean, because you're just it's flat. Yeah, you you better have real good biomechanics and efficiency. Yeah. Otherwise, it's gonna it's gonna catch up to you. And then I did a few other gravel races this year, and then I did a 5K trail race just the other day, which was actually pretty happy. I got like sixth overall. I, I have fun because it's I'm 63, so I have all these kids out there racing, so it's <laughs> it's always fun to get done. And I get, you know, whatever. It's like a, a guy came up to me and says, well, it's always good to know there's a 60-year-old to chase, so there's hope for me. Yeah, and that's what I try and tell people. There's it's, well, you know, this, is, this is exactly the reason I wanted to have you on because here you are. I didn't know the backstory about you'd gotten to 230 pounds and decided to get get back in shape, and fortunately got yourself in the right right uh, track with it with with fat adaptation and and then finding OFM. And I think the thing is, is like it's not keto. Like where you are right now, since you built your metabolic capacity up to the point you have, it's like if whether it's for strategic carb use or social things, if you want or need to have carbs or not eat at all, you can. Right. Yep. And so that's, and that's the good part, you know, and it's, I feel healthier. And again, your body, my body rebels when I eat right. If I'm stupid, I listen to my body and I do it again. And that's the, you know, human nature, but for next year. So I'm, so right now I, my training is trying aiming for, I'm doing a 50 K trail run in May which I haven't done in, I did like three years ago. So that'll be interesting. What is that? Uh, Yamacraw. It's on the Daniel Boone National Forest. Oh, cool. It's not super hard, but it's it's one of those ones that where there's lots of roots and rocks and I need to be careful because I always tell people being 63 with size 12 feet is not the best thing sometimes for trails because my feet tend to catch things, but. No, well, I'm, I'm the same age as you are and I've got size 14 shoes. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, it's but that's getting me ready for I'm doing gravel worlds again this year, but wow. I'm doing what they call the gravel worlds double. Yeah. So on Friday, you run a 50K with about 2,000 feet of climbing. It's all on gravel roads. And then the next day, you do the 153 mile bike ride. So that's your that's your goal event for next year. That's the big race for next year. Okay. And so, in between that, there's going to be a 50K race, official 50K race. I'm sure there'll be other races you'll do for training. Oh, yeah. I'm doing the, like I'm doing the 50K there. And then I got another 140 mile uh, gravel race the month after Gravel Worlds that I'm hoping to do in Colorado. And then I filter in some races. We have some local gravel races, but our, our local gravel races are what we call enhanced gravel because half the people ride mountain bikes because it's. 
they're pretty rough roads. They're not like uh, Colorado's roads or <clears throat> Nebraska's even. <laughs> they're pretty up and rutted. And, and, and I always tell people, our hills, almost any 100-miler you ride in Kentucky where I live, you will get 8,000 feet of climbing. Wow. Because they go up and over hills. No one cuts through hills, and they believe in switchbacks. And so I have a hill by my house that's got a spot that's like uh, 18%. And there's another one that I ride. Sometimes it's like 25% for about not very long, 100, 200 feet. But there's, I mean, they just go uphill. <laughs> wow. Wow. Have you ever thought about that gravel ride? They have a gravel bike race in early in, early in the year, like out of Bakersfield somewhere. March, like March or April, they got one. They've got a gravel race. I don't know about that one. I know there's a few that I, I mean, there's so many to do nowadays. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the ones down here, I have a gravel bike. There's a couple I would do. There's, there's some up by me that I may try next year or so. I mean, I'm hopefully in the next three years I can retire and then work in the local bike shop and then I can find ways to go race more. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, but then we can't get you out to California. I'm going to, I'm going to try and pull you out late or later this year to get out in the Sierras for some high yeah. runs, man. Yeah. No, I, I used to live in Minden, Nevada, in Gardnerville, Nevada. Okay. And so I've ridden up Kingsbury grade more times than I can count. And then over through, yeah, you know, and, and I'm not knocking Tahoe in that area, but boy, you get South of Sonora pass yep. in, into the Southern Sierras. I mean, from there South, it's just epic. Yeah, they have a bike ride I, I've never did, and I live there. I don't know why I never did it. It's called the Death Ride. Yep, yep. And that's that's on my list still one day to go back and do that because that's a that's got some killer hills. Yeah, no, it's got some killer grades. But, I mean, in terms of the, the running, hiking, boy. You oh, get yeah, some... no. I, I have run from – I have hiked from Tuolumne Meadows to Mammoth once. And I always – I remember meeting a guy on the when we were hiking that was running. And yep. I back then, I would have never, I didn't know much about ultras. Yep. So I never would have thought about it. But I could probably do that one. It's like 35 miles. For the for the audience out there, when you're doing these kind of runs, we, we call them runs, but there's a lot of shuffling and, and yes. power walking involved. Yep. Um, there's also a lot of cursing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it's all good, you know. Well, super. And, and so... Now that you're kind of really into the whole OFM lifestyle, do you ever think about it anymore? No, I mean, I really, I mean, you're, I mean, an, other than, you're an engineer and you would want to engineer it, right? Yeah. So the only thing I will say is I do have to be, because one of the advantages that I found with Vespa is it does help the fat burning, which helps. And we always talk about this. It helps the recovery because you get the damage. Right. But because of the way I do things, I come in and I just go run. I'm always forgetting to take it. I have to figure out how to put it somewhere so I can remember. Because as much as Vespa helps, the fat adaption is still there, whether I forget, even if I forget it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I may lose some of that extra, but it's I got to do things to make me remember. But as far as how I eat, in general, I think about it. I just know there's things I like that, but it's not going to do me any good. It's not going to be a benefit to yeah, me. And in terms of how you live also, I mean, like me, I'm I'm really lazy. Getting me out the door is really the hardest thing. But I'll get to where I feel just so bad that I'll I I'll I'll drag myself out. Right. I, I, you're a much you're much more disciplined and structured in your training than I am. I, I need some carrot like Charlotte saying, hey, I'm gonna go up and run 
up to Cap Peak, you want to come? And it's like, okay. You well, know. it's not all. It's some, I have to admit, there are days that I get up and who wants to go out the door? But I always do know that if I can get 10, 15, 20 miles down the road riding, I'm fine. That's right. It's, right. it's like just, getting out the door, right? Right. It's that, it's that for me, I know that first three to four miles of running is going to really suck. And then all of a yep. sudden, that switch, you know, you hit the switch. It's like, this isn't bad at all. It feels pretty good. Right. And so that's the heart. And that's, you know what, for anyone out there, that's going to be, it's it's not to force yourself if you're sick or if you're injured. It's just that day you feel like, you know, I don't really want to do this. Just do it because you'll feel better once you start doing it. Yeah, you got you to gotta use your human brain to, to realize, okay, I know I'll feel better if I do this. Right. Even though I really want to do it right now in the moment. Right. Right. And that's, it is, a, I mean, I, I would think it's easier for people, especially if you've got people you can run with or ride with, because then there's sort of that impetus that, well, I can't let down the guy I got to meet. But I have that because I have friends where I live, but they all live 40 miles away and no one lives close. So I pretty much run and ride by myself. And it would be easier if I had to meet so yeah, that's my that's one of my biggest things. If you have near you, make a plan to go run with them because it makes yeah, it you, easier you, to get out the door. Right, right, right. Yeah, if you have somebody to run with, it's 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 or ride with. It really does, it really yep. does. Because with life, it is. There's always something to do, and and you never have enough time to get some downtime. Yeah, so. and the other one I give is a word of wisdom. Over all these years, if you can get your workout in the morning, do it in the morning. Because it's always harder to do it later in the day because something will come up. <laughs> the problem I have, though, Tony, is I always do my best work work, my day work my in the morning, right? Uh, so if I go do a workout, I want to take, I want to shower, get cleaned up, eat a little something, and then take a nap. Oh, and then yeah. up feel really good. Uh, you know, it's, it, so it does make your makeup, right? What's that? It does, it does depend how your makeup is. But I know for me, if I do it in the morning, it's really hard to get done in the afternoon. Oh, no, I get you. I mean, there's times where three, four o'clock rolls around. The last thing I want to do is go out the door. But I've, I've gotten to where I know that, okay, if I plan to do a workout, I need to get out because I will feel better because I, I did that. Right. The reason I feel bad is because I need to be doing this. Right. And that's the advantage with Zwift because it does, I do know that I can get on there and I know I'll feel better. I can't use the weather as an excuse, right? So where I live, the weather, they always say in Kentucky, if you like the weather, wait five minutes. <laughs> oh, see, so Kentucky's got psycho weather like Texas. Oh yeah. We have really wacky weather. See, this is, this is why I remain in California because <laughs> despite the high cost of living, the wacky politics and cultural stuff, uh, the homelessness, everybody's complains on and on about california i mean my gosh we have the best weather and, and some of the best running for me i mean i like trail runs so i like yeah. to, go to the coast or go to the mountains and and it, that's that's my carrot and that you know getting it like like that's that's the thing when i do my runs out on the trail i do my best thinking i just wish right. i could capture it it's, it's sort of like so you, it's i don't know if you know there's a guy named jonathan edwards he's from back in the 1700s he's a Christian guy that used to write, he used to ride on a horse going places and he would take like little pieces of paper and he'd think of something and then pin it to his jacket. Yep. <laughs> Anything pop up, he'd write it on a piece of paper, pin it to his jacket and keep riding, do the same thing over and over. Yeah, I need to figure out a way to do that. Because I, I just, it just, I mean, I just let go and it's like all these random thoughts come and it's, and some, some little bits get captured. Most of it just gets circulated back. Yep. 
Yeah, so, I have that. I, that tends to be me. Yeah. So, well, cool. Well, thanks for for having this conversation. What kind of advice would you give to somebody listening to this, whether they're an athlete or somebody who was where you were six years ago? The biggest one is give it a try, right? It's the it's going to go against the grain of what you've been taught and been told for years. But put the effort in and you'll see the the benefits. I mean, I over always hear people talk about all, you know, this and that about what it what the pros do. But the average person runs under threshold, which is perfect for burning fat. Right. And you just need to try it. And if I was going to put a plug in, well, you know, look up at OFM because there isn't just one to do this, right? So everyone thinks of fat adaption and keto. This is not keto. This is not keto. Right. And I've written on that and you say that and I need people need to realize that this isn't keto. Keto's a tool and I'll do keto for a week or something sometimes because I do feel better. I do I do keto. I just go start fasting. Yeah, so <laughs> similar thing, but the point being is is that when you hear about fat adaption, think it's this one niche you've heard, right? That one side is all high fat diet right. where you're so, aching every day. Check out the you know the OFM website. Look at the blog posts and the and the info on and that there is another way to do it that's not carb phobic. It's using carbs as they were intended. You yep. know, I always tell God, God made us a certain which was to burn fat as a large part of our fuel. But yeah, you're going to burn carbs when you need them. And yeah, and, we're, and, and the thing is, is, is I'm finding with our work, and I say our work because it's working with athletes like you and Jeff and Peter and all the athletes I work with, all of them, for, you know, regardless, is, you know, it's individualized, but carbs are essential to actually increase your fat adaptation because you need the carbs to get that little push carbs you're known for. Right. So you can you can perform at a higher level and create that adaptive stress from training to get better at burning fat at higher rates because because the problem with uh, a straight ketogenic diet is you end up you know it's a it's a it's a it's a really ketosis is a conservation state uh especially the way there's this, the current science is practiced because as you probably know and you probably fiddle around as an engineer you know uh an OFM fat adapted athlete runs very trace to low keto blood ketones right, right? Whereas the, the reference range that's established by science is much higher. And, and I think that that's because you're producing the ketones probably as much, if not more, but you're also burning them because you have that metabolic capacity to do so. Right. Whereas a sedentary person doesn't have that metabolic capacity to burn ketones. So if they're in an excess energy state, you know, their, their liver is going to be spitting ketone, dumping ketones into the bloodstream. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got these high ketones, you think I'm there, or you take a ketone ester and you think I'm there in keto, keto nirvana, right? Yeah. So the point is, is to give it a try. There's yeah. nothing to lose, right? You'll feel better. Yep. And, and the only thing I would also add, and this is the, I see it in all these people that always try and give the, the poo-poo to fat adaption is they always try it on and go, well, this person took three months. I can tell you from my experience, I ex I experienced the fat adaption maybe three to six months. I felt some of it, but I've been doing this serious for like, you know, three to five years or whatever. And it takes time for your body to get fully fat adapted. It's not an overnight yep. thing. 
you can get stages of that. But when I, if I tell I rode a hundred miles and didn't need to eat anything because I didn't feel like it, that doesn't mean if you do fat adaption three months from now, you can do that. I mean, you might, depending right. on your body, but it's, you know, some people it's not something, but at least look into it. Because I think if you look at the, the actual, how mechanisms and the science, when I say science, that's a dangerous word nowadays that we use well, that. It's <laughs> a loaded term right now. Yeah, I know if I like using it, but if you just look at the information, and again, look at what most people do. They're running at below threshold. Yep. You need well, to bring carbs. Here's the, and, and, and to add to that, based on all the data, I was showing you those charts, right? The, the historic thing says you cross over at 65%. A well-trained athlete crosses over 65%, which was corroborated by the high-carb diet cohort and faster. Faster's keto group, which which re, in the real world they're OFM athletes, but but during faster they're keto. They crossed over at seventy five percent of their VO two max. Right. Yeah, big thing. But like as you can see, if you're well fat adapted, you cross over or you cross over at the very threshold of your VO two max. So if you're right. if you're doing exercise at or below threshold and you're fat adapted, you know it's it's where you should be. Right. Right. And you need those things. And it's sort of like, that's the, that's the, if there's not a, if there's anything that's a beauty to it, that's it. Right. That's, that's the fuel you should be burning. It's like, you know, the hybrid, right. I need to yeah. need that super juice for most yeah. of the running. And then right. when I you mean, need it, it's yeah. available. That's right. It's like, it's like, I think the best analogy I can come up with is like nitric, nit yeah. nitrous oxide for your car. Yep. I mean, you have a little nitrous oxide tank and, and a little hit when you need it to right. to go fast. But if you were running that car on, if you just had that button stuck open and you had a big old bottle of nitrous oxide, like a high carb athlete, you'd blow the engine up. Which well, that that and you can't have a big enough bottle. <laughs> that's right. That's that too. You know, you'd have a big enough bottle of nitrous, and that's the, and you have a giant bottle of the other stuff of fat. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and and so. You know, and, and I think that what people need to realize is change is also hard. And like, like if you, you know, we know consuming a lot of sugar is not a good thing. I mean, most people know that intuitively, but they make that connection that carbs equal sugar. And then, right. so, so they've been told they need carbs. They just haven't been told that your body sees that as sugar, right? Right. Yep. And they see the, you know, the pathways of the oxidative stress, the glycation, the lactate load, and, and, and how that all of a sudden causes that downward cascade of, of challenges the body has to get through. And the body's very resilient and can do that, but you pay a price and over time that price grows in terms of, you know, all kinds of things. Whereas when yep. you're, when you're, when you're burning fat, you're not only burning fat, but you're metabolizing fat, which is critical for your cell walls, for your mitochondria. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, even, even Hammer Nutrition has a guy on board with this stuff now, and he's been posting blogs about right. getting back to that um, state. So it's, it's no longer as heretical as it was. You're a theologian, but I mean, back yep. when I was, back when I started this and I had my, my, epif my mini epiphanies between 2000 and 2010 um, about what was going on leading up to, you know, developing the OFM program as part of supporting Vespa athletes. It was, it was literally heresy. 
I mean, what I was saying was just heresy. Yep. People say, say, woe is me, but I want them to understand that sometimes that thing that shocks you may be, may be actually the truth <laughs> coming out, right? Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So the, the good part is, though, more and more people are doing this. I mean, yeah, okay, it's not everyone, but you know, you can say the proof is in the pudding. And if you see three guys, or but we start seeing more and more people being able to do this and not have to suck down hundred grams of carbs an hour. Yeah, it does make people at least have to go. Well, it works for you. And so the more people they say that to, I think over time people are going to see maybe it'll work for me. Right. And, and that's the hope, right? Because I, I have, like I said, I go to races and I've had people joke about, so how many carbs did you have? Or, And they go, well, it's not for me, but my goal, my hope is over time that they'll try it and see that the be the great benefits. And it's not just that you can ride faster or longer, it's healthier. It's Well, and it's like, because I, I go down those rabbit holes, when I'm looking at these pathways and what that 100 grams an hour of uh, of carbs for say four hours right say you're doing a century and you're you're hammering away that four hours at 100 grams is doing in terms of uh the the oxidative stress the, la the lactate load the glycation uh and then what that does to impact your mitochondria your cell wall layers it, it's 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 just people need to realize that that a little sugar goes a long ways but a lot of sugar is 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 doing them really serious damage on a, on a hormonal level that I, I just know it's not simple. It's very complex science, but it's, it's, it's simple in terms of the execution, right? Yep. I mean, we're getting back to nature. There's all these things happening in what I call this downward cascade of uh, metabolic dysregulation, which is, as the Warburg theory says, most cancers are metabolized anaerobically and they have, so they have to use glucose right. as fuel. And, and so I, I I just I just that that was my epiphany when I started this as my day job and working with athletes with GI challenges and bonking challenges is like going through the physiology and 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 pathways for all this. It was like, oh my God, people are just destroying themselves. Yep. Yeah, I think that people really got that message and took it to heart. They they kind of start to think about. Some some really basic things like the reason we store fat is that's what we're meant to burn. I mean, right. actually, actually, we have a very robust uh, glycogen storage system for our fight or flight fuel, but it's meant to be fight or flight, not right. main fuel tank. Right? I mean, yep. if you can store two hours of glycogen, that'll take you if that'll take you all day in terms of those surges. Right? Yep. Sure does. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, great conversation, Tony. Anything else you want to add to that as we close out for this one? No, just mainly just if if you're skeptical, try it. It's not going to hurt. It may be a little uncomfortable when you do the first stages. We have the reset, do those things where there's a time when you have to cut back and to get your body to work over. And it takes some work. So it's not a freebie, right? It's not like a magic pill. I mean, Vespa is not a magic pill. It's a tool, no, but it's, no, it's a tool. It's a tool. And it's so crazy. there's no magic pill. And so like, yeah, as good I wouldn't as want Vespa, anyone to think it was. Yeah. As good as Vespa is, as good as carbohydrate restriction is, meditation, mindfulness, all these things are all tools that 
you, 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 the, the individual need to tailor to your lifestyle uh, and make it your own, you know, because that's the thing. It's like, like it goes back to my three constants. You're an individual, you're meant to burn fat aerobically and we're meant to move a lot. Right. You know, and, and you're doing all that, right? And, and that's why I tell everyone and I've been posting when I post is basically take responsibility for your health. The, yeah. There's no one out there that's going to do it for you. I care what uh, they are. And, and, you know, I keep saying this, it, but, you know, with the data from the last two years, it's pretty obvious that one thing you all can do is get your metabolic health in order because, you know, the last two years have really made it really clear in the data that the people who are suffering the most are the ones who have these multiple comorbidities, which which is Dr. Kathy, who's working in the ICU, treating patients at that level and keeping them alive. And, and again, I'm not against modern healthcare for acute situations because we all need it if we're in an accident or something sure. happens, but we can keep ourselves at, at that arm's length by doing this. And Kathy's, you know, that's what Kathy says is like, almost all the stuff she sees is preventable. Yep. The vast majority of it. it wouldn't put her out of work, but you know, the odd accident or gunshot wound or whatever that she has to be a trauma surgeon on, that's that's rare compared to what she sees in the ICU. So yeah, I mean we can keep yourself at arm's length. So you just have the health care for when you really need it, right? Yep. Yep. And take care, take take responsibility and take care of your body. Yeah, but I mean it, it will take care of you. But we live in this age where everybody's got rights, but nobody wants to take responsibility. Yeah, I know. It's probably not a good word, responsibility, right? <laughs> right. Uh, that shows you what, what what a couple of throwbacks we are. Yeah, I guess I'm sounding like an old fart. So that's oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but next, next time, next time that old fart doing a 5K, you'll you'll pay attention, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tony. Thanks very much. <laughs>